tonight to Matthew chapter 6 and also to Galatians chapter 4. Matthew chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 4. And then you'll also find in the rack in front of you a forms and prayers book and turn with me uh, to page 253 to Lord's Day 46. Before we read God's Word, I'm going to read for us what the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us about the opening, the beginning of our prayer that our Savior taught us to pray. And I'll read for us the two questions and answers, uh, 120 and 21. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that uh, what should be basic to our prayer, a childlike reverence and trust that through Christ God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Why then the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from his almighty power everything needed body and soul. And then in light of these explanations, we turn, first of all, uh, to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 5. Jesus is here in the middle of the Sermon of the in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we turn to Galatians chapter 4. beginning in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This Father reading from God's holy and infallible Word. You'll be a help uh, just to leave your Bibles open as we look at this beautiful petition or opening of our prayer that our Savior taught us together. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so when He begins to teach them, He says, begin your prayer by saying, Father, Father, it is an incredible gift that Christ has given us to begin our prayers by reminding us who we are in our prayer. In those opening, in that very opening word, Father, Christ reminds us that we're not coming to a stranger. We're not coming as orphans. We're not beggars. We are family. But it's not a distant, unknown uncle to whom we come. We come to our Father. You see what a blessing this is? Right as we begin to speak to God, we are reminded of the tremendous privilege To be children 
of God Himself. And so, Christ, right at the beginning, reminds us that we come to one who is willing to receive us, to hear us. And in that very word, Father, Christ calls us to trust ourselves or to entrust ourselves completely to the one to whom we pray. To fully surrender ourselves with confident hope. Because when you come to your Father, you expect Him to willingly receive you, to embrace you, to provide you with what you need, and to sustain and uphold you as only a father can. What a privilege to begin our prayer with these beautiful words. Father, it's not a privilege that belonged to us by right. It's not an inalienable right to address God as Father. No. It's a privilege that comes to us at great cost to our Father. For you and me to take these words on our lips. God had to give up His only beloved Son. And that's what we read about in Galatians. We are reminded there by the Apostle Paul that we receive the right, the privilege of being sons of God. When God's Son entered into this world and lay down his life. It tells us in verse 3, in this way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now there's a lot of ink spilled about what exactly the elementary principles mean. But the best explanation, I think, is to see it as the way in which both the Jews and the Greeks, through their different but very similar ways, were seeking to save themselves through 
their own efforts, their own obedience. And so the elementary principles there is really all the ways in which we seek self-salvation. And Paul is saying that even though children are different than slaves, at a certain time before they are shown to be children and grow into their full inheritance, they are no different than slaves. And Paul is talking here about the ways in which we, and especially these Gentile believers, were seeking to save themselves before they heard the gospel. But he says, when we were there, lost, lost in our sin, lost in our effort to save ourselves, God did what we could not do. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Christ, the lawgiver, became obedient to the law of God for our sakes. And His obedience was not only the complete fulfillment of the law in all the righteous requirements and demands of God's law, but also in the penalty of that law. His obedience drove him to the cross so that uh, he became obedient, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Through his obedience, both in his active obedience of keeping God's law perfectly and in his passive obedience of paying the penalty that our sin deserved, Christ can now pay the ransom price to set us free. To be redeemed reminds us that we were slaves that were purchased and set free. Do you see how we receive the privilege of being children of God? Christ paid the price to redeem us so that we may receive adoption as sons. Now remember, I've said this before, but I'll just remind you again, that by Paul calling all of the church sons, is not being a chauvinist, not being a, a, a insensitive male ignoring the woman in the church is actually doing the complete opposite. Because under Roman law, only sons inherit 
And so by calling all of the church sons, he is including women too in the richness of this inheritance. All have the same heritage as sons in Christ. And what is that? God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts to help us to cry, Abba, Father. So we are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Do you hear and see what a privilege it is to call God Father? It comes to us through the blood of Christ. It's a privilege that comes free to us. But it wasn't free to Christ or to the Father Himself. For you and me, to begin our prayer and say, Father. Do you see what kind of father you have? Right as you begin your prayer, you have every reason to be confident that He is willing to hear you. That He is willing to answer your prayers. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not along freely with him give us all things? Paul is saying, look, if God has given you His Son, His only dearest Son, the most precious gift you have, He has freely given Him to you already, then anything else you may ask is small change to God. It's nothing. It's insignificant. Because He has already given you the greatest of his possessions and his son. So do not for a moment doubt God's willingness to hear you as you begin your prayer. Father must awaken in you that trust that knows my Father will hear and answer. Now Jesus reminds us that because He is our Father, we don't have to doubt or should I say think to manipulate him, to bombard him with our petitions in such a way that we, as it were, twist his arm to give us what we want. As though we can, through our many words, 
overwhelm God. He warns us that that really is how the Pharisees pray. He warns us not to pray like the hypocrite and the Gentile. No. We come to our Father. Notice verse 8 of Matthew 6. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Already, as we begin our prayer, already before we have asked anything, we can be assured that our Father knows perfectly what we need. Now you see, that's the struggle. Why do we pray? Well, we pray because God wants us to pray and ask. We pray because you and I need to be reminded of who our Father is and He cares for us. But we pray always in the confidence of knowing that our Father knows best. And so if He says, no, we willingly surrender our will for His will, because He knows. And why do our Father knows what is best? Because He is in heaven. He is no mere earthly father that is limited in his understanding, in his experience, in his grasp. Our father is in heaven. He is the one who created heaven and earth, the one who sustains heaven and earth, the one who knows all things perfectly. And so, you and I can surrender ourselves to Him as knowing better than we do. Isn't that the struggle sometimes? You see, sometimes we want something so badly and we keep praying, and when God doesn't give us what we want, we grow angry with Him. We grow disillusioned with Him. But what is it? It's because we forget that our God knows what is best. He knows what we need before we ask. You don't have to inform God and persuade Him of your circumstances and your needs. He knows. He knows what you need. And because He is your Father, he knows what is best and will give you what is best. And so he will say, no. But at other times he will say to us, wait, because the time's not right. Now those are difficult times, aren't they? 
Because how do we wait? We wait patiently. We wait confidently. We wait in prayer. But we wait because we know our Father's timing is always perfect. We need to grow in our trust to depend upon Him knowing that He will give His children what they need exactly when it is needed. Not when we feel it is needed. Not when we think it is needed, but when He knows we need it. But then our Father often says, yes. And when he says yes, we need to be sure to see and thank him for his gifts. You know, so often we ask, we receive, you know how children are. They run away the moment you give them what they ask for, don't you? We have to teach them to pause and to say thank you. It doesn't come natural. And as God's spiritual children, that's exactly the same thing. We need to remind ourselves that we receive God's gift. Not because we deserve to receive them. Not because He owes them to us. When we forget that we become God's children by grace, we can become that kind of demanding children. But Christ as he begins this prayer, reminds us that we are utterly dependent upon our Father for everything. And so he reminds us to come not only in trust, but in awe and reverence. Because our Father is in heaven. He is far more glorious than what we can truly know Him to be. And therefore we come respectful. We come with the understanding that we have been given this incredible privilege to approach the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to call Him Father. But now notice, 
that Christ reminds us that we are never praying alone. This is so important. He doesn't teach us to pray, My Father. Now, I'll return to this in a moment. We must call God my Father. But Christ comes here as He teaches us to pray, and He reminds us that when we become God's sons, we share that right with all of God's other children. We belong to a huge family. A huge family. And we're all together in this privilege to come and speak to our Father. And when we pray, we are praying always with others. Even when we're alone. Now, we need this in our culture, don't we? Because in the West, dare I say it, especially here in America, we love our independence. To be reminded that we are self-made people. We stand alone. But the Lord reminds us that when we are in Christ, we never stand alone. We're not merely individuals in Christ's presence, in the presence of our Father. We're part of His family. And that's why the concerns that we carry are not merely our own but the concerns for all of God's people. Now, not everybody has the right to call God Father. In the previous century, the liberalism that laid bare so much of the mainline churches emphasized that God's is the Father of all mankind. But our Savior reminds us in His conversation with the Jews that not everybody has the right to call God Father. Jesus says to them, I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. In John 8, verse 38 and following, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, 
even God. Isn't it interesting? First, Abraham is their father. And when Christ exposed that, they thought they'll go one better. And they'll claim God as their father. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I come from God, and I am here. I come not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Christ makes perfectly clear that if we do not love him, we cannot call God Father. If we do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Father who has come, we do not get this privilege. So as we conclude tonight, my question to you is simply this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? to be your Lord and Savior. John Wesley, the great preacher in the second or the first great awakening in England, a Methodist, although he wasn't a Methodist in his lifetime, he was Anglican. Methodism started out of his movement later. But before his conversion, he was already a preacher, and he came to do mission work, actually, uh, in Georgia. And there he ran into Moravians. And one of them realized that Wesley had no personal trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had no true faith yet. And so he asked him this question, My brother, I must ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? That's my question to you tonight. Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit, that you are a child of God. Wesley wrote, I was surprised and knew not what to answer. He observed it and asked, Do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I know that He is the Savior of the world. True, he replied, but do you know He saved you. You see, it's not good enough to know that Jesus is the Savior. You must know Him to be your Savior.
At this point, Wesley answered, I hope he has died to save me. But you see, that's not faith yet, is it? God in his grace saved him later, actually by reading uh, Luther's description of his own conversion in his uh, preface to his commentary on Romans. But the question to you and I tonight is, do we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we rest in him to know that he saved me? I urge you, rest in him. Because when you do, then you can come to the Father and pray this prayer from the heart. It belongs to you. It's your right. Not a birthright. Not a natural right. But a right extended by being adopted through the Lord Jesus Christ and His redeeming work. The Spirit of God bearing testimony with us that we are sons of God. Let's pray. Lord, we stand amazed tonight that You would grant us the great privilege of coming before you and calling you our Father. We thank you, Lord, that you held nothing back from us so that we may know you as our Father. We ask that you would forgive us that we are still so unbelieving, that we are still so hesitant. But come and let your Spirit truly enable us to cry out to you and call you Father. Teach us to trust you, to confidently and boldly bring the needs that we have into your presence, and to rest knowing that because you are wise, because you are our Father, because you are in heaven, you have the power and the wisdom to give us what we need at the very moment we need it. We praise you, Lord, for the great privilege of coming to you in prayer as children. 
in our Savior's name. Our Savior, who has given us this great privilege at great expense to himself. Amen.